Hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nerva Reddy. This is Stephen Robles. And before we jump into the topic today, I want to mention one more time, Impact 360, their one-week camp called Propel. This is in summer 2020, so less than a year away. But this is their one-week camp. Remember, they have one- and two-week camps. But the Propel one-week camp is specifically focused on creating disciples of these young people and helping them become Christ-following influencers of culture. And so definitely an important thing in this culture and day and age. And so we encourage you to check out that one-week camp if you have a high school student, again, a rising freshman all the way to a recently graduated senior in summer 2020. You can learn more about that camp at impact360.org. And don't forget they have the online courses that you can have a $25 discount when you use the promo code FREEMIND and you sign up for one of those courses. Check it out. Very good. Well, I mean, you got that Brooklyn shirt on today. I got that Brooklyn shirt on. That's we, my hometown, bro. Oh, my I was born in Brooklyn. My birthday. We were just uh, at Brooklyn Tab a couple weeks That's ago. That's right. And so yeah. we uh, happened upon a store called Brooklyn. And so it was all <laughs> things Brooklyn all the time. Did you turn your hat backwards when we started the show? I did. I, I did. did. <laughs> I had to. That's my rally cap. I needed a little, oh, extra, so, need a little extra shot today because it's been so crazy. I would say yeah. this has been the busiest time in our yep. lives. Would you agree with that, babe? I would agree. So anything that we say that's crazy today or off, just uh, you can charge it to the account of busyness mm, it's on the tab. <laughs> and give us some grace. Extend give us that grace today. mucho grace. Because we literally, I mean, we have been running and running. We, we just started at our church. So if you're right. in the Lakeland area and don't have a home church, right. or even if you do and you want to visit one Sunday, yeah, yeah. we are at a worship director. Well, actually... Let me get this right. So nervous, the worship get director, it right. get and it I'm right. assistant to the worship director <laughs> uh-huh. at Strong Tower Church. We're in downtown downtown right. Lakeland. Yes, we and love Strong And we just Strong started Tower. our first. Uh, we just started leading this past Sunday, and we also did a uh, LPL Living Proof Live with Beth Moore in Austin, right. Texas, on Friday, Saturday. So, oh my goodness, we flew in late Saturday night, got up early Sunday mm-hmm. morning, and then had a, like a massive life group here at our house last yes. night. So yes. I don't say that is like acts of righteousness this no. is acts of insanity <laughs> and uh and it just happened to fall on the same weekend so we it, and then last weekend you guys were at brooklyn tab yeah and then we we did well it was a couple weekends before that and we mm-hmm. stayed because of the hurricane yep right went to pennsylvania yeah but then you guys were yeah you guys were in pennsylvania till a thursday flew yeah. back yeah yes. some filming on friday on friday yep. yes. you flew out saturday flew right yep. Ooh, for brooklyn tab friday. No, Saturday, no, yeah, that's right. We had so, yeah, we flew out Saturday to a different event. A different event, and, right, um, right. Where was that, babe? Baltimore. Oh, Baltimore, yeah. that's right. That's so right. we had come back yeah. from, it was, man, been that was nuts, over. man. Like, it's been bananas. I feel like that, what's that cartoon character, Ren and Stimpy, with the, with the, uh, <laughs> the like bloodshot, bloodshot eyes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's how I feel in my soul. But man, something. How, we're going to make it today. How the sky's up there, you guys been flying a lot. You know, it's been bad, <laughs> it's been good, actually. Yeah. Because I went through that season, I went through that, I went through a phase all of a sudden. Went through. No, I'm doing better. You don't think I did better this past couple weeks? You're doing better. Slightly (laughs) better. So after like, after 10 years of loving flying, all of a sudden like fear just jumped on me. Right, I remember saying that. And like every little turn, like, you know, you can feel the pilot sometimes like speeding up and slowing down or when they jerk a little bit or especially with bad turbulence. And when I tell you, this last year we went into Chicago <laughs> and Baltimore and back to back weekends oh and we hit, it felt like we were flying through a tornado. It did. It was it so did. like, I remember, I think, I think I saw cups fly. Yeah. yeah. And what? the majority of the plane screamed. Yeah. yeah. Multiple and so times. the pilot was got on and apologized. I'm sorry for that severe. Yeah. Turbulence. turbulence. And that pilot says severe. When he when says, the pilot severe, says severe, like, you was, know, they always try to, Right. Try to make it feel like, oh, we're about to experience some mild bumps before, like, you know, we're jerking you around. Know? This guy was like. Oh, it was crazy. An hour later, we were still like, oh. Yeah, like gosh. I had like, my heart was beating fast for like 25 minutes afterwards. It so why do you think you've been doing better? I think because, I think part of it was going through those. Mm. those it's yeah. only gets better from those two Yeah, you're flights. like, okay, you I, if the plane if can last through this. that. Then right. it can. It felt like like on the event, like Thor hitting the plane with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it was like dense, like was, like oh, knocking it back and like forth ten times. Yeah, man. On different sides. It was crazy. So it, it, well, I asked because I felt I felt something similar. I worked in the travel industry and flew a lot. And yeah. I experienced a couple hard ones, and I was like getting uneasy. But uh, went to Israel last year was fine. But I'm flying to Texas in a couple weeks. Uh, okay. For, for Gateway Conference. Yeah, yeah. And so so I was just curious. But how are you doing? 
You know, one of the I did watch this video too. They had on the plane when I flew last time we went to was UK, right? Went to the UK. It was one yeah, of those long I flights. I watched it first, and then she I watched had it first, watch and it she had me said, watch this it. This will help. This will really. And help. I'm like, this guy could be completely lying to me right now, but he made me feel good about it at least. <laughs> So he's like, you know, he said, it's just, just think of it like a boat on the waves. Like it's not going right. to affect the plane. And, right, right, and for, right. I mean, I think statistically it is true that turbulence doesn't it tend never to, yeah, yeah. yeah, do anything. So I'm, I'm trying to reason with myself and that kind of relates to exactly. what we're going to talk about today. But, um, sometimes man, it just, I don't know why, but it's just, it, I'm so aware that we're in this metal tube, <laughs> thousands of feet in the air. And I'm like, oh, and this, I feel like, man, any, the smallest thing, you know. No. goes wrong and, and i mean that oh, lady getting sucked out of the southwest it. window stop this year it. i was like that, that was the, yeah that was the freak accident was, yeah night. oh now i'm getting sad sorry <laughs> Just you know what though but you know this is a company that i remember um turbulence was so bad this lady sitting next to me i mean we locked arms we didn't even know each other's names yeah, yeah. but we just but then on the other side there was a guy asleep and, he, right. and she's like he's military Right. So they must right. know something that he's military. We don't. He's insane. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, then you know the right. hurricane. The hurricane hunters fly out of Lakeland. Now. Right. Oh, really? They I have a, actually by Are Lakeland Linder Airport. They have a whole hangar now. So they they huh. do have one in my, near Miami, but they fly out of Lakeland too. I mean, you see videos of those hurricane hunters going through that. I'm like, I that do, that I also gave me that some comfort. Because yeah, this last hurricane, we were watching those videos. I'm like, yeah. man, if they could do that, yeah, you know, that's like what? a prop plane. And then too. they get into the right. eye of the hurricane yeah, where it's really it's crazy. And so like, oh, I did, gosh. you know, the, those kinds of things help me. My hands sweat. So like, it, it does. I don't know why. Like, but every time we take every off, every time we land, time, it's yeah. just like my hands are going in. And so I, no matter what, I just get a little bit. What you got? Baby? No, when um when we moved to Florida and I had initially was going to quit Toby's band, he's like, well, we'll fly you back and forth if you're willing to do that. And so I had to fly in and out every week, like twice a week and mm. going through turbulence week after week. And it just gave me confidence, like having to do it so many times. Yeah. Mm. I was like, well, I've been through so much on the plane this we we'll make it, you know, it's, it's like, and then I don't know if this is accurate, but somebody told me there are three like emergency testings they do right, before right. you finally, uh, if it's going to go down, it'll go down after that third attempt to save it or whatever. And I was like, you know what? I've been up here so many times. It's like, ah, is this it for me? I don't think so, but you don't never want to presume <laughs> on God, you know, but, yeah. um, I think, breaking that fear over and over and over again gave me yeah, confidence. Yeah. And so we switched places. I used to be so nervous to fly and you used to just sleep. And now you're a little bit of well, anxiety. But no, six months ago. Calling okay, me, very good. Speaking my bad. Yeah, I got to correct, correct Yay, that. Uh, we're no longer slaves to fear. I love it. No, because I did like, no, I would say if my fear level was at like a, let's say an eight. What's it now? Like eight months ago. It's probably like a two or three now. Wow, that's good. Remember this last, this last, Two True. months, like I've been. I've been this last real weekend, calm. you were really yeah, yeah. Good. So I was like, You're my hands good. even barely sweat. Well, <laughs> <Hey>. yeah, <laughs> yes. But uh, you know, it's it is it's it's weird how your mind can, you like you know statistically it is a lot safer than right. driving to the airport and driving home. Yeah. But all all you can think about sometimes is is True. like what it would be like if and you oh, and when right. you start focusing on sure. that, it's like you get right. stuck. And it's really hard yes. at that point to to back out of it. And unfortunately, this the only thing that made me nervous this last one. I shouldn't have read this nine eleven <laughs> article as I was sitting on the plane. I was like, I was I was scrolling and through Facebook, wrong, and I, I don't. I just wasn't on my guard. Answer. I was on my guard. Right. And I read this article, and Nerva looked at me. She could tell I was nervous, and I was like, Yeah, I just read this article. I shouldn't have yeah, read. You can't do stuff like that. That's <laughs> that feeds into Remember it. Remember that time we? What made us do this? We watched Captain Phillips while we were on a on cruise. A cruise. <laughs> yeah. Dumb. That was so That's dumb. Intense too. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. For sure. But you know, yeah. it is what it is. It but is what you it know, is. so it's, okay. the, it's the power of that mind. Bro. There it is. Power of the mind. There so you know, we we uh, we're thinking about well, what do we talk about this week? And you know, the the one of the big things that came up last week is a really really sad story, man, yeah. about the pastor. And uh, what was his name again? His name was Jared Wilson. He was thirty yeah. years old, and uh, he was an associate pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship mm. uh, Church, large church. Is that you know where that's at? Is that Chicago? Is it Cali? Yeah. Or? Uh, it is in Riverside, California. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. California. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And he he was very open about True. his and struggles uh, with. Um, just kind of mental struggles and emotional struggles. 
he tweeted a lot about those things. And so mm. he did not hide the fact that he struggled sometimes with depression and things like that. Yeah. But um, he unfortunately committed suicide uh, oh, just so last sorry. week. Just last week. Yeah. yeah. It's heartbreaking. For sure. It's, uh, you know, and it's, it's kind of hard to even want to talk about something like that after it happens because, you know, it's so, it's so somber, so sad that you almost only want to touch it. And, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the day and age we live in, when everything's public, people immediately, of course, started talking yeah. about it mm-hmm. and, and writing articles on it and everything. And there were a few things that stuck out to me that I thought it might be worthwhile mm-hmm. to at least um, begin to think through from a foundational place on this podcast, particularly as it as it connects with larger worldview issues. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of cool, so you guys can be on the lookout for this. Um, but one of my one of my heroes in the faith, somebody that has really been a guide from afar. I've I actually met him once, but I don't, you know, he he. I'm sure he doesn't remember because it was quick after a, after a class. But uh, J.P. Moreland mm-hmm. and his works, um, man, he's just God has really used him to help me think through some stuff over, you know, just worldviewishly and philosophy, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And um, he has done a, actually a lot of writing because he's wrestled with anxiety and depression uh, for years. Um, And he recently wrote a book about this topic. Yeah. And the book is called finding quiet. Uh, It just came out this year, 2019. And he's very open. He goes through his entire struggle, uh, which is years long and debilitating anxiety and panic attacks to the point where he had to leave his teaching post for over a year. And um, anyway, he's he's very open about it in the book, but then he also talks about the steps that he took uh, to come out of that. Right. And how he deals with it now. Right, also. right. And so, you know, immediately I thought of him and because many people were saying, um, you know, how to, how do we deal with this in the church? There were a lot of stuff to say, well, there's the church has doesn't handle issues yeah. of depression, anxiety, and we'll jump right. into that more later on. But immediately I thought of him. And so I've just, you know, these days we're walking in that bold faith, brother, where That's we right. just reach out to anybody. Yes. So we reached out to uh, Dr. Moreland. I actually emailed him today and he emailed me back and said That's he would cool. be on the podcast. So That's amazing. Man. I'm That's super excited. Cool. So y'all could be on the lookout. We're going to... Um, interview him on this book on on this topic and yes. and I love for you guys I can't wait for y'all to hear that if you have any specific questions that you would like us to ask um if you what's the best way for them to to let us know what I mean if they want to DM us on Instagram at freemindfm or maybe even better you can email those questions email podcast at freemind.fm email us those questions and uh, we'll take a look at them yeah, and and maybe grab that book too. It's a short Absolutely. book, and and we're going to talk about it a little bit today. Just kind of give you guys a primer um, to bounce off, and hopefully you can and read the book before we interview him. And I think it'll yeah. be really helpful. Um, but one of the one of our friends, mutual friends, actually texted me and said, "Would we be willing to engage?" I guess there was a theological controversy going on, and I've been so busy I wasn't even aware mm-hmm. of this. But at least in his world, there was. Um, many people were commenting on kind of this issue and specifically with Jared, but also just this issue with where people, you know, are, if you commit suicide, is that the unpardonable sin? Do you, right. you know, do you automatically separate it from God and hell for eternity if you do that? And so he was asking us if we would comment on that. And I was like, well, you know, that's, that's kind of a really, really deep topic that requires unpacking a lot of theological elements and yeah. something that's really touchy and that I probably wouldn't want to get into on the back of this kind of event. Cause it, right. when you talk about theoretical stuff like that, it can make it feel dry and un, unempathetic and, mm-hmm. and yeah. like, you know, you for, you can forget the people involved. Sure. So I didn't right. want to do that, but. And, and also that focuses on the act of suicide. Right. Not necessarily what we can do to help people who are struggling mm-hmm. for with sure. these kinds of things right now. For sure, for sure. So. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was actually just going to skip that for now and maybe yeah. come back to it at a different point. But I did, right before we were getting ready to do the podcast today, I came, I was scrolling through Facebook and I came across this article with uh, Michael Brown, who we mm-hmm. reference a lot. And he actually just wrote, this guy's like a machine, man. He, I don't know how he does oh, it, but goodness, he writes man. like an article a day. Yeah. And it, you know, it's always 
I think he brings such a good perspective on these types of issues that tend to be really controversial and, and yeah. hard to deal with. And I thought it might be worth worth it for us before we jump into how to handle it, just to just to mention, um, to read through this article a little bit and touch on it, just in case people are wondering, because it is a, apparently an, a, an important discussion that's going on online that we can kind of feed into here. So I might have you uh, read through this a little bit for us, okay. baby, and I'll jump in from time to time and kind of make a comment. Okay. The death of Pastor Jared Wilson is suicide the unpardonable sin. There are some Christians who believe that suicide is an unpardonable sin. The logic behind this, suicide is self-murder. No murderer has eternal life. And you cannot repent of a sin of suicide since it is your last and final act. Other Christians argue that we are forgiven because of what Jesus did, not what we do. Therefore, regardless of which sins we commit or do not commit, Jesus still saves us. Still, others would say, who says suicide is always a sin? What if the person suffered unbearable pain or, or was it not in his? What if the person suffered unbearable pain or was not in his right mind? Surely God would overlook this. Before we try to answer these important theological questions, we need to pause for a moment and look at the human side of these agonizing questions. Just this week, Pastor Jared Wilson himself, the founder of a suicide outreach group, took his own life, leaving behind his wife and young children. Mm. Adding to this tragedy is the fact that on the very day he committed suicide, he presided at the funeral of another suicide victim. I didn't know that. I didn't know that part. That's amazing. Perhaps the pain of it all was just too much to bear. Mm. Like many of you, I've suffered from mental illness or battled depression. And aside from one crazed thought in 1971, in the midst of a massive overdose of hallucinogenic drugs, I have never for a split second contemplated suicide. Hmm. For those who don't know my story, I've been drug-free and alcohol-free since December 17th, 1971. This is Dr. Brown. Yeah, so he was saying, he was just saying he never personally struggled with that. And he goes on to say, so he doesn't want to necessarily comment on the the psychological elements because he doesn't feel equipped. And I I would say the same thing. I don't know about you guys. Are you kidding? No. That's not, you know, I've had anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. connected with doubt that I've talked about before, but but not in the sense that some people wrestle with it, like in this particular case. And so that's why we're going to approach it more of like, kind of guides to point people in directions sure. where other people have the, the necessary expertise in these areas, but after we touch on the theological. Speaking at Jared's memorial service, Greg Laurie, the senior pastor of the church where Jared served, said this, when you stand before God, you won't be judged by the last thing that you did before you died. You'll be judged by the last thing Jesus did before he died. He died for your sin. Here, Pastor Laurie makes an important point. Many Christians think that if they fail to confess every last sin they commit each day, if they die in their sleep, they will go to hell. Or if they lose their temper on the road yelling at a driver who cut them off and die in a car crash, they will go to hell because they didn't have time to repent. I've heard that same thing. People express that. That is a real misconception, one that can produce condemnation, fear, and bondage. Bear in mind that I write these words as someone who believes in the importance of confession of sin and as one of the best known opponents of the doctrine called hyper grace. Yeah. So what he's saying here, and this is instructive because Michael Brown is probably part of the segment of Christianity that if they lean in a direction, it would be toward that direction of Mm -hmm. thinking if you commit a sin before you die, you know, you would go to hell. He's kind of in that world. Mm. So I think that's an important point that he makes and he also is, has been a h- critic of what he calls hyper grace like this idea that you know grace is is so big that we can basically do anything uh, and be any yeah. kind of person we want right. and god winks at it and we're okay like he's not right. that dude but he also rec- he has a he has a scriptural perspective on it's it's about what the last thing christ did in oh, essence I like that. and That's good. i think that has been a common kind of folksy misconception of man if you cuss and then a car <laughs> hits you you know yeah, exactly. i mean right. you know sure. kind of a light-hearted example but i think that idea is just not um it doesn't properly understand the doctrine of of salvation and justification okay. these different elements that we right. see in taught in, in the new testament clearly so yeah go on from there real quick okay But we are not saved or lost based on a specific sin we commit or do not commit. 
We are saved based on our faith in the death and resurrection resurrection of Jesus, who then becomes our Lord and calls us to live a new life. What if we reject his lordship once we are saved? What if we turn away from him and deny him? Can we then forfeit our salvation? I believe the scriptures teach that this is a distinct and real possibility. Let us not play games with such a great salvation. I am aware, of course, that there is a great debate among Christians on this subject. So here, let me just jump in. So sure. here's, you know, Michael Brown comes from a more Arminian Wesleyan perspective. Mm-hmm. So he would hold that apostasy is a real option. So okay. he, he argues that you can actually be saved and then actually not be saved. But how you do it is not based on the last sin you committed. It's a public profession of apostasy on the lines of what, what he would interpret to be Marty Sampson or Josh I Harris. See. That that All would right. be in Michael Brown's the only okay. mind, the only way to really walk away. It wouldn't be a specific necessary sure. sin. A now, I think he would argue that if you had a lifestyle of sin, that's good mm. evidence to suggest maybe you didn't come into the kingdom in the first place. Now, right. on the other side of it, if you're from the reform perspective, you would say apostasy is not a real option. Like if a person like Joshua Harris really is, has committed apostasy, they would say he was never saved in the sure. first place. So right. okay. because if you're elect in Christ before the you know foundation of the earth, you are individually elect and you, uh, the P part of sure. tulip is perseverance of the saints. So right. if you were a part of the elect, you would be saved no matter what. So there's no way to forfeit real salvation or justification on that view. And there are views of course, in between there's, um, there's kind of the Reformed Baptist, which doesn't necessarily hold to the tulip, but they would cash it out more like once saved, always saved yeah, with yeah. verses like what could snatch you out of the the hand of God, the love of God yeah. and different teachings where Jesus lays it out in the book of John, where it seems like, you know, once he's, he's chosen you, he will not lose you mm. kind of deal. So they would appeal to things like that. So they seal you for eternity. Right. And, and the Holy yeah. sealed in the Holy spirit. So we're not going to take a perspective on this debate for now, but I just want to point out. So even, even in the case where you're an Armenian or Wesleyan leaning person like Michael Brown, even then you don't get the kind of theology where if you cuss and get hit by a car, you go to hell. Like it's, it's much more difficult to even on his view, walk away from Christ than, than that kind of folk version is. But again, if you're reformed, this would be a, you'd understand that process completely um, differently, but they would come to the same point. I think on, with regard to this particular topic. Is it possible then that someone committing suicide could do so as an act of defiance and rebellion against God, thereby rejecting his lordship? This is possible too, but unless we have clear evidence that this is the case, when we hear of a believer committing suicide, especially one who suffers from severe depression, we should believe and hope for the best. Yeah, so again, he's saying, according to the perspective he's taken, he would say it's possible to apostatize, but you shouldn't think yeah. that they did just because they committed suicide mm-hmm. unless there's clear evidence that they had right. committed apostasy. A caller to my radio show once described what happened to his brother who returned from Afghanistan suffering from PTSD. He had been a, a committed believer, but now was acting irrationally, drinking and losing his temper. Then he committed suicide. Did he thereby commit the unpardonable sin? I seriously doubt it. Did Pastor Jarrett commit the unpardonable sin? I see zero evidence for it. And that's why Jarrett's wife was quick to post in the midst of her own agony that her sweet husband was in the presence of Jesus, free from pain at last. May the Lord pour out his mercy on this hurting family. May darkness give way to light. At the same time, we need to do our best to urge those who are struggling to hang on helping them somehow to see that there is a way to find freedom right here in in this world, that suicide is never the best option, that with God, healing and deliverance are possible in the here and now. We also need to help convince them that we not only love them, but that we need them. And if they take their own lives, they are depriving us as well. I know Pastor Jarrett sought to help others in just these ways, based on what I've read about him now. I can only pray that rather than his death prompting others to take their own lives too, his suicide will be a deep awakening call to the church. Many are hurting right in our own midst, perhaps right in our own families, and we simply do not recognize it. Many are in pain that we cannot imagine. 
May we provide the support and love and help they need, ultimately through the Lord's grace that will cause them to cherish life, cling to life, and then bring others to life. May Jared's death bring life to others, and may the darkness give way to light. So yeah. Mm. So I think you know. Again, we wow. don't have. Yeah, we don't have time to go through and unpack all that today. But I thought it was worth at least reading that and kind of yeah. giving it to you sure. guys, our listeners. Um, and we'll link to that article yep. on the bottom as just a starting place for for thinking through these issues. If you if you yourself are wondering, you know, man, what what happens? How do I? counsel someone about this if they ask that kind of question i think this is a good um starting place for that discussion definitely yeah so when we talk about mental health now this is the other conversation kind of big in the news is how the church deals with mental health and um, i don't know what your guys experience has been but i know growing up it didn't seem like we just talked about those we didn't talk about them you know especially when it came to things like depression and anxiety it was a little bit taboo and i think especially maybe the tools weren't available, you know, as Christians and in the church to know how to deal with it. And so it just kind of wasn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so either from the ignoring side all the way to the, it's only a spiritual issue and kind of approaching it that way. I feel like that's, that's at least been my experience in the past mm-hmm. until recently. Um, I don't know how you guys experience it. Yeah, what would you say? Yeah, uh, you know, and I don't remember hearing about it often. And maybe like you said, people didn't talk about it much. But I am finding that there's lots more anxiety and a lot more um, suicides, especially among the young these days. And I'm, I'm, um, it's definitely um, alarming and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, and then to hear all of the comments about um, the church failing in that regard, um, you know, it just made me process maybe as a body, you know, when we, we come to church to just just do a better uh, job of seeing, really seeing people that might be hurting and just seeing past the smiles and and um, especially when people are um, reaching out and expressing um, just going through tough times and hard times and things like that. So it definitely stopped me in my track. And I also, um, you know, if I'm honest, feel ill-equipped to really um, deal with mental illness because I know sometimes it's a, it can be a chemical thing, a medical condition, as well as sometimes just, um, just simple stress and anxiety. I know this past year was my first time dealing with, I, I remember like, whoa, this is stress. This is what stress feels like. <laughs> and it's something to, to experience. I'd never, I'd always been pretty chill up to that point, but I woke up and I was like, whoa, what is this drama? And it would just sneak up on me, just, just right. come upon me. And uh, it, it caught my attention and uh, made me definitely increase my prayer life, watch my health, about what I was putting into my body and um, I'll never get we took a trip to Georgia and we um, I was going through a lot of stress at the time and anxiety and we were staying with one of my mentors and she has a prayer room in her house where she's got the word playing 24 (laughs) 7 and I'll never forget I went in there and spent some time and I was just on my face and praying and I was like after a week, I was like, uh, I noticed that I've not had any anxiety attacks yeah. at the whole time I was here. And I don't know if it was a change of environment, but I'm just attributed to just her home being such a beautiful, safe haven for me and just reminded me of, you know, there is comfort in the presence of God through prayer and through his word and um, came back home. It affected me so much. I came back home and I uh, took our breakfast room and changed it up and made it a a prayer room. I wanted to continue that um, practice of really going to the Lord with my um, challenges and my thoughts. And I, um, I do remember reading, was that JP Mullen's book? You know, you want to change your feelings. Mm. One of the right. things you want to do is uh, just think about your thoughts and and direct right. that to a right. more um, wholesome, peaceful place that was through a prayer. Renovation of the heart. Renovation Dallas of the Willard. heart. Oh, yeah. Dallas Willard. So yeah, that was my um, so doing it a lot better now. I don't think I have that much. I'm stressed, but it's not anxiety. Just normal life stresses, and I I'm more aware of how I deal with that. But this definitely on the radar. The death of Jared has um, lots of people are posting about um, how the church has um, not done its best job at helping people. Yeah. So, yeah. I think there's an, so if you, when you kind of study the history of Western thought from, mm. especially with regard to modern psychology and you get back mm. to Freud and these, you know, mm. some of his other counterparts of the day and the development of that over time, 
I think what happened is again we've talked about this a lot how the in the early 1900s the the church sort of retreated from those mainstream universities mainstream mm-hmm. disciplines into you know Bible ah, colleges and okay. and when they separated it 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 became known as fundamentalism it was really actually well thought out at first you had some really heavy weights but it, it eventually became anti-intellectual right. anti because they they rightly understood that what people like Freud had done, they had massively reinterpreted human nature in a godless Mm. way. Mm. And they each had their own way of doing that. His particular way had more to do with identifying the person with their sexual proclivities and, Mm -hmm. but different ones would identify the human being in different ways. And they saw that, man, if you study psychology, this is where it leads you in your thinking. So we're not going (laughs) to, we're not going to get into psychology. And I'm oversimplifying, of course, but Mm. I think that led to sort of a reactionary position that fed Mm. back into the evangelical world that made counseling um, and all these items kind of taboo for a while. At least, at least in my, my kind of small experience, you I would notice that if you brought up stuff like that, sort of what you were saying, Stephen, that people would look down, like kind of look at you as a second class right. Christian or man, something, something must be offered or they would maybe op- oversimplify to say, you must not be really seeking God or praying Oof, enough or, yeah. right. you know, they would, they would just, they would write a sort of overly simplistic prescription and then right. when it didn't work, it would almost make people worse. And then if they felt like, man, we need, I need some counseling tools, they would be, uh, I don't know about that. And it's because right. it was this reaction to something that was mm. off itself. Mm. And I think now, though, what I'm seeing, it's sort of like I think the pendulum might be swinging back in the opposite direction. And when I talk to younger Christians, they almost have no understanding of how Christ really can help us psychologically as well. Mm-hmm. And they almost right. lean too much on counseling and life coaches. Boy, and so it's, it's always this, it's always this kind yeah. of back and forth dance we're right. in. And what I love about um, JP Moreland is he, he talks, he starts at the deepest level because you yeah. have to start with what is the human person. So right. psychology, you know, the word wow. psyche or suke in the, in the Greek is the mm-hmm. word that's translated sometimes as soul or person right. or individual, but it, but it had that idea of the soul. So the original psychology was meant to be a study of the soul, mm. study of the human soul. And when you reduce in our modern secular worldview, we tended to reduce a person to the physical body. And right. so in that, you, you now use the soul, the word soul only in quotes. Ah, and so okay. there's not a real thing, thing we can refer to anymore as the soul. Because mm. all there is, if you're talking about reality, is, is the body. And right. the, the mind is reduced to the brain. And so right. your, your mind, and, and that's where, and, and we try to appeal to modern neuroscience and uh, studies of neurology to say, see, this is, you know, love is this C fiber firing in this direction. And right. so we, so it's not, it, it's, it's this move from no longer the soul to the body. Hmm. And what's interesting, I saw that Netflix is really promoting a show right now called the mind explained. Mm-hmm. Right. And because we've been so busy, I haven't been able to check it out yet, but I, 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 I want to. I, I put a hypothesis forth that it's probably going to explain the mind in terms of the brain, mm. and not right. not only in the sense that the brain causes the mind to do such and such, but right. in the sense that there really is no real mind that is oh um, that works together with the brain. Mm. But the but they'll they'll talk about the mind and the brain as they are one th- thing. It's all just one organ. Yes, and it's it might be illusion kind of when yes. we try and think of it as separate. And a couple of things on that, I don't know if you've seen the movie A Beautiful Mind Ooh, yeah. with yeah. John Nash. Uh, yeah. It was a true story. And he was suffering from schizophrenia and hallucinations. Right. That's a good movie. And I remember the doctors telling him, you will not be able to overcome this because the tool you have to fight it is your brain. And what yeah. is broken is your brain. Yeah. And so there is no way that you will better your condition. Yeah. And revolutionary at his time, but he did not take that. And he was like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to, I'm going to work at this. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why, especially in the last 10 years, medications and psychiatric drugs has been kind of just exploding. Because Hmm. if we believe that the brain is all there is, 
then of course we can't fix the broken thing because all we have yeah. is a broken tool. And so an outside force, namely medicine, is the only thing that can change it. Yes. But then we have doctors like Dr. Caroline Leaf, um, who is a, a Christian and also has done extenuous, she's a neuroscientist and has done so much research over the last 30 years. And she works with brain victims and brain trauma victims. And she's discovering some amazing things. You know, she has worked with patients where their brain has received significant damage. Maybe even parts of their brains have had to have been removed. Mm. And yet the people can actually recover to a place either better than the state they were before wow. or most recovering to the state. And that goes to the point that this physical organ is not necessarily 100% of our personality and our mm. being. Right. And we can actually, that there is a consciousness above the brain that we can use to affect the physical portion of the brain organ right and that is what she's really spearheading in her books uh, the perfect you and uh all the anyway dr caroline leaf she did a video with stephen furtick and a bunch of other videos that yeah she really talks about these things in, a, in an intelligent way and again she's like scientist researcher you know she's not just some whatever you know but uh, yeah it's amazing work she's doing and you know and and yeah and that's where i think jp like where she's dealing with it at the at the level of science and he right. he talks about the science he's aware of the science understands it and and interacts with a lot of that stuff he deals with it at the even deeper level of, of philosophy because right. the 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 philosophical level is like the first level discipline that that undergirds everything else so he he talks about that and, and he, of course he also argues that the he starts with the bible in theology yeah, of absolutely. what does the bible teach about the human person and right. then he shows how philosophically it confirms that. And then the mm. science also confirms it. And I think that's what, if many people are discovering, in fact, I, again, this, this is a long ago memory I'm, I'm thinking of, but I believe it was a guy named John Cyril, uh, S-E-A-R-L-E. And I, I think he was an agnostic, but he was one of the leading neuroscientists. I don't know if he's still alive, but this was relatively mm. recent. And he's, his analogy for how the mind and brain work together is he said the brain is like the piano and the, the mind is like the, the player of the piano. Right. And he said if the piano is out of tune, you will not be able to play beautiful music. And that's why mm. you know the, the brain matters. And people understood this for years. Like if you drank a bunch of alcohol, that's a physical substance, right. but it affects your mind. Mm. Why is that? Because this, there's a two-way causal thing going on between the brain and the mind, but they're not identical things. Mm. And I, so we don't have a lot of time to go into so why good. that is. There, right. there are a lot of really, really good arguments for that. Mm -hmm. And that's what maybe we'll get into a little bit of that with JP when we get him on here. But suffice it to say, he and many other brilliant um, philosophers have, I think, shown um, that substance dualism is what they, what, they, what they call it, is the only way to account for what we all know to be true about ourselves. Uh, that have mm -hmm. the, the ability to choose A or not A requires a substance dualist model of the human person. Right. And um, again, we can explain why later. But um, when, you, when you reduce a person to a physical organ, like Stephen said, th it's, there's a parallel too I'm seeing there between Western medicine and and now this modern um overemphasis on medication mm. right. um i know our my mom and you guys in particular <laughs> real into holistic health and i think there's yeah. a big movement toward that because they understand like if you only treat the human body like a mechanistic um mm. machine you don't tend to get to health but they if you treat the person as a holistic mm -hmm. right. deep unity of body and soul right. um you have different elements that you put together that brings people to health and it's and it's really wild um they used to think this was a folksy thing but you when they talk about people dying of a broken heart or something mm -hmm. like oh, that but right. how much like psychological like mental things or things that happen to you in that right. um, respect a person gets hurt in a divorce and sure. they get really sick after like right. these things are all deeply interconnected and if you have a limited view it'd be i was trying to think of a good analogy and this one isn't perfect i mean all analogies fall short but if you had a you know two different computer stores and one of them only fixes hardware and they think that software doesn't exist. Mm, and then you got good. the other store, they only fix software. They think that hardware doesn't exist. <laughs> mm, You're good. not that's going to get very far sure. with fixing the computer because mm. right. you understand that there's both are involved. Yeah. And 
what we have now in our secular culture is you only think the physical exists. And so you're mm-hmm. going to only treat it with medicine. And mm-hmm. I think what we had in the past with the church is we didn't understand that there is also a physical side to right. it. And right. so we thought if, you know, you can't treat that, you can't take medicine because all it is is spiritual. Right. And, and I think right. it's, a, it's, that analogy is kind of decent with regard to that because yeah, sometimes you have to go in and do the hardware, then you have to go fix something in the software. Then you get, and it's yeah, kind of yeah, a back yeah. and forth spiral. Right. And I think that's what JP's book points yes. out from every level, like the, the deepest philosophical level to what we are, yeah. which is the first question you have to answer. If, if you're going to answer, we used to do this. What, what is the basis for care? It's understanding. understanding. Yeah. Mm. You have to understand what a thing is. Like if you want to care so for a good. cabbage, you have to know something about the nature of what sure. a cabbage is and right. what environment you need to create to help it flourish. Right. And that's why with hu- human beings, because we don't have now, we don't even ask that question. And this is across the board. This, this is health people, neuroscientists. If you ask friends that are studying to be uh, doctors and neuroscientists, they don't typically spend too much time thinking through philosophical anthropology like right. what is a human being and if they do it's usually like you know it's just it's whack like 99 it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not very good it's not a good presentation yeah. it doesn't critically think through mm-hmm. all the aspects of it and so if you don't have that answer whatever answer you begin to give at the practical level is going to be at best overly narrow and at worst going to cause more harm than good yeah which is sad because people go to doctors often and they've been trained to just fix the physical. And so they spend yeah. tons of money on um, tests and things. I remember going to the doctor and um, this was after I had surgery. Um, and I remember not feeling well at all. And do you remember this love? I went to yeah. my medical doctor and I was like, um, this is my first time feeling really, really off and something's wrong. And she just looked at me like, uh-huh, yeah, 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 you're a singer. You're in touch with your emotions. I have a thousand <laughs> tests. Which ones would you want me to start with? I'm quoting. Boy, boy. And I was like, how and much am I paying you? this is our promotion for uh, Watson Clinic <laughs> Listen, in baby, Listen. I looked at her and I was like, how much am I paying, you know? And um, she was wow. clueless. To, to help me and yeah, um, a medical doctor. So that really speaks to um, the lack of understanding. Like, you yeah. Said, and and you're in on the flip side of that, your doctor in Nashville, who is a believer and a great doctor, spirit filled believer. She is she understands so helpful. The whole person. And she does. How you have to, and that's in essence. And I mentioned this before. I'm going to, cause Steven's actually read the book and I want him mm-hmm. to touch on some of the practical elements. Um, but I, but I do want to point out, so JP, he really takes a balanced view. He understands that at times you need medication to get the brain back in the proper state that it can be in because what happens, um, Steven mentioned this a little bit about Caroline leaf. What they have discovered is what's called neuroplasticity, that you can actually change the Mm -hmm. physical nature of your brain and the grooves and ruts. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. what we've, I mean, we've kind of known this for years through habits. People have understood just empirically that it takes like a certain amount of days right. to change a habit to where you don't have to think about it anymore. It takes a certain amount of days to make a new habit. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know what was going on physiologically, but now they've shown that what's going on is when you think different thoughts that it creates different neural pathways and reshapes your brain in different right. directions. And so that's how we can use our mind to affect our brain. But at the same time, sometimes things are so deeply woven in your brain that you need um, medication to get it back to a place where you can even mm. begin that process again. Right. But at the other, on the other hand, he said you shouldn't automatically jump into drugs because right. sometimes it's stuff that's going on mental that you can start there. Sometimes sure. it's spiritual. Yeah. Even JP yeah. talks about, you know, the reality of demons and demonic um, yeah. attacks and oppression. So it's, it's a, it's a holistic thing that we have to approach critically and thoughtfully, right. prayerfully, but understand that all of these elements are under God. Yes. Like it's not like the spiritual is God's and then the um, psychological and the drugs is, is secular and outside of God. No, these, right. are, these are properties of things God has created right. and things that we've learned because he's given us a mind that correlates with reality. And when we have a good hypothesis and it lines up, that truth and that knowledge is what he, in essence, told us to get out and do in Genesis mm. um, and discovery and, and the basis for science. But, you know, I just want to throw that out there before we jump into some of the practicals that when we when we get on this you'll you'll see that there's a really balanced view and it just requires um 
yeah, kind of kind of developing a a a, a fully like a full I, I can't think of the word, but a holistic view. Yes, oh, like a holistic, robust, view. robust worldview, mm-hmm. um, biblically based that accounts for the whole person. And yes. that is where that's where the secular world lacks right now, and that's where certain, yeah. at least, branches of evangelicalism that I've experienced that's where they've fallen short as well. And that's what right. I think he's and others right. are bringing to the table. Okay. So, what are some of those? Is uh, you know, as we're getting toward yes. the end here, yeah. what are some of those practical things he points out in the book that can help if somebody's struggling with anxiety today and they just want a couple tips to start? Yeah. Well, and first of all, you know, again, J.P. Moreland is very transparent about his experience. But he tells people, listen, you, A, you're not alone. Like, you're not the only one experiencing this. And especially if you're deep into the church world, you might feel ostracized or like you can't go anywhere or whatever. But so step one is don't feel like you are broken, like you're the only broken person. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. a lot of people deal with these things. And um, he uses so much scripture, too, to support it. Caroline Leaf does, too. But, you know, Romans 12, 1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he encourages constantly, like, you do have power to start changing things. That is one of the things that we can sometimes feel as powerless and helpless to affect any of these thoughts that we have. And so I won't go through too much, but he does go into this uh, one section where he talks about a four-step solution. And it feels like a misnomer because it's not just like you do these four things and you're good to go for the rest of your life. (laughs) Um, But he talks about these four things to do when you're experiencing anxiety or having a panic attack or just really struggling. And one of the things about anxiety and and the reason why I've I've been in this world a little bit and my 10-year-old son has struggled with anxiety for the past two years. And so we've been kind of working through that. And again, just to also speak to like the doctor side, you know, counselors are not a bad and evil thing and you're not giving up nor giving in by doing that. And again, sometimes we can, those of us who grew up in church feels like going to a counselor again is taboo or whatever, but, but it's not like, I would encourage you find a good Christian counselor that you can, you know, if you're struggling with these kinds of things, but for my son and for a lot of people, when you experience anxiety, you get into this cycle where you have worry or anxiety about a thing and you get anxious about being anxious and you start getting into this cycle that you can't break out of. You can't step outside of that cycle. And so kind of step one is trying to have that frame of mind to to stop the cycle or at least slow it down just for a minute. And so these four steps that JP Moreland gives, he calls it relabeling, reframing, refocusing, and then revaluing. Hmm. And he has a, a long explanation of each one. But the first thing, step one of relabeling is to realize that not all of your thoughts are based in reality and not all the all of your thoughts are your thoughts can't hurt you physically most of the, you know, for the most part. A lot of times our thoughts can be deceptive and they might be uncomfortable, but we can't actually slow them down. Mm. And from a, a secular point of view, I've heard this analogy is sometimes uh, we think of our thoughts as these cars on a highway. And if we're standing on the side of the highway and we see these thoughts of fear and anxiety driving by, we have this reaction to jump in front of the cars and stop them. And Mm. we feel like we need to stop the anxiety right now. And if we can't, then we feel powerless. Mm. And actually, we shouldn't be stepping onto the highway, getting run over, (laughs) trying to stop these cars, but instead stand by the side and just note. And that's what he talks about relabeling to say like, okay, I see this car passing by. It is anxiety, it is depression, it is sadness, it is worry. And even better, if you can identify what it is Mm. that you are worried about or anxious about, to just label it. You know, even if you have to speak it out loud. And so don't stop the car, but let it drive by. Say, okay, I see it. I know I'm feeling this, but you know what? I'm not, I don't have to stop it right this second. And so I'm going to let it pass. And right behind it's going to be another thought Mm -hmm. for sure. But to get into that habit of just going, letting them go by and not dwelling on it in the moment. And then his second step of reframing is to try and attack it with facts, attack it with logic, and attack it in prayer and with the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, sometimes my son will have anxiety that he's sick and maybe he'll throw up. And mm. a lot of times I, I try to step back very calmly, just, just the reality of the situation. Like, you don't have a stomach flu. You didn't need something bad. You, there's no one in the house throwing up, like, 
logically, chances are you're not going to throw up in this moment right now. Step one. So just just take that information. Chances are this plane is not going to go down. Chances are this plane is not going to go down. The probability is just fine. You also have not thrown up in the past six months, Mm -hmm. and like to you, struggling with anxiety, like you have like whatever that worst fear is, probably hasn't happened in the last few months. So Mm -hmm. whatever you think is going to happen, probably the chances are it's not going to be that bad. And so just take that as a point of information and begin reframing the situation and especially in this moment, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you reframe those thoughts and move those things over. I've also heard this analogy that when we're experiencing these anxiety, anxious feelings and anxiety that, you know, we are the sky and not the weather. I know that sounds like a fruity statement, but for some people it helps to think that, you know, weather happens, storms happen, it rains, it thunders and it lightnings. And the sky's there, and then the storms pass. Mm. And you're the sky. You're not the weather. You are not these thoughts. You are not not these these emotions. You are not made up of anxiety and depression. You're experiencing these things, like cars passing by a highway or bad weather passing through. But you are not those things. And so let them begin to move past. So label. Mm -hmm. You can note it and try to move on. And however often you have to do that. And it's a process. It's not something you do once, and then you're good the next minute, but to begin thinking about those things, just taking a step back and sometimes stepping out of that cycle just for a moment and then for another moment and then for another minute can help you start moving Mm. out of that cycle of anxiety. So just, those are just a couple steps, a couple Mm, practical things to do in those heat of the moment situations. Yeah. And it's tough. Again, don't, don't be discouraged if you try to do this and you were just as anxious as you were yesterday, and, <laughs> and that's it. You know, don't, it is not a failure. You know, I think about the verses where Jesus heals two blind men in the book of Mark. And in chapter 10, verse 52, Jesus heals a blind man instantly. But then in Mark chapter 8, verses 24, Jesus prays for a man, asks him, can he see? And the man says, you know, it's still kind of blurry. And then Jesus prays for him again, and then he says his sight is restored. And I think in those, parables. I mean, they're not parables. They're actual stories. These are stories of healings. Jesus heals one immediately and the other, it's a process. Mm -hmm. And so again, a lot of times we feel like if we don't see results the next day or after one counseling session or after one breakthrough, if we experience anxiety again, that we failed and it's all for naught. Mm. But it's not that. Like it is a process. And, you know, for our son, it's been two years of a process. A lot of time dealing with the same thing multiple Mm -hmm. times every day, every week. But just stick with it. And that's why you pray and you ask God for help and that's for good. stamina and for endurance. No, yeah. And it's, it's good to be in community and have a friend that helps you work through those thoughts. Yeah. When you said identify the feeling, I think journaling is a way of doing that for me. When I'm in the morning after I'm praying yeah, you do and I that. write it down and I'm just kind of pouring my heart out on paper and pen, it is really, really awesome. And then that second step you said, just kind of just go through it. Are, are you, am I being rational? Am I mm. really seeing in reality here? Am I blowing yeah. this thing out mm. of proportion? And then you kind of can better come to your senses, but it's community. I'm thinking of community and how important mm. having yeah. good spiritual community in those steps can really that's, be helpful. That's helpful. And then th- what you just said too is true. I, I was listening to an interview somebody else did with JP today. We, maybe we can link that too. I'll, I'll find it mm-hmm. for you. But um, the guy himself that was interviewing him had struggled really bad with um, depression, anxiety. So he said he got on medication for a while and it really helped, Mm -hmm. but then he was able to eventually wean off it and through, um, but he said they were talking about the process of habit forming new ways of thinking. And JP said, you know, he basically has, he gets up and for a period of time started his day with two hours of prayer (laughs) and it was a certain type of prayer. And he said it took like 22 days you know, something like that, 22, 23 days where he even began to feel different at all. Right. But he just, that, that's part of that new habit forming process where you just have to give it some time and understand. And even Mm -hmm. then it's still going to be a process, but you're adopting a new lifestyle and and you're going to see the effects over. Unfortunately, you know, when we start working out, we like looking in the mirror, like day two, (laughs) looking like where's, where's that tricep muscle. Right. But it's probably like by the time it actually gets there, you won't even notice it until you look back at old pictures. <laughs> right, right. And it's just like that. But did so those are the first two or four points? Those are the first two. And, okay. and then the last step three was refocusing. Okay. When you can find something that usually takes your attention, something that you can focus on. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's something else, a pastime. Something that you can start dwelling on that's different 
than what you're being anxious about. Something mm-hmm. that you'd normally just kind of get engaged and engrossed in to try to distract a little bit from whatever it is that's producing anxiety. So refocusing is step three. So Mike, my, my, uh, a guy, <laughs> pastor in Nashville, Mike Glenn, used to say, you know, he walked through the store, all he could think about was Oreos and getting Oreos. And he knew he wasn't supposed to get on Oreos. <laughs> and he said, if he just tell himself, don't get those Oreos, don't get those Oreos. He said, inevitably, yeah, yeah, that's- he picked them Oreos up. That's it. So that's- he had to get his mind, so not on even right. denying the Oreos, but on right. something else. Yeah. And I think that's a good, it was the word replace you used? Or refocus, refocus is, yeah. is step three. But yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's like the phrase, don't think of a pink elephant. That's the first <laughs> thing. Say, it's just going to pop in like you can't help it. Yeah. That's so and it's true. those things where, you know, I've, I've heard of this tactic too in, uh, in dealing with some sins and some struggles. Like if you just try not to do something, you're going to fail. Yeah. You know, I've heard analogy of, you know, if you, if someone was an alcoholic and drank for eight hours a day and stops drinking cold turkey, that's eight hours unaccounted for. Unless you fill that with something, you're going to go back to what you know. And so you have to replace what you're doing, whatever you spent that time on with something else, something good uh, to distract you from that. And then step four is the revaluing, which Mm. is meaning when it's it's safe, when enough enough time has passed, go back and reflect on what happened and think about the steps you went through to either get out of that situation or maybe the steps that you failed to take and and couldn't get out of the struggle. So to reevaluate later mm-hmm. uh, when it's safe. And the last thing I'll, I'll speak to, we got this book from my son. It's Feeding the Anxiety Gremlin, and it's actually for kids. Uh. This is a little book in the nasty gremlin green, you know, talk about anxiety. But one of the, um, a couple of the steps it gives you is, you know, start identifying the things that instigate anxiety. Mm. You know, if you are afraid of fi- flying. Don't read 9-11 articles. Bruh. <laughs> But even like I remember in the plane when I was flying a lot, they have this website. I don't even know if you know about this. I don't know if I should mention it, but I think you mentioned it before, and I do not go there. <laughs> the turbulence forecast. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh yeah. My There's this website where you can go and see what oh the turbulence gosh. forecast is for the next 24 to 48 hours. And they have this for cruise waves and everything. And I would do it thinking that if it's if it's forecasting calm air, that it would help me not be nervous That's interesting. Yeah. and it's not the case because okay. it's still the same subject it's still i'm thinking about turbulence i'm thinking mm. about the topic that i'm worried about and so I, I start identifying the things that whether you think on whether you do maybe it's the people you're talking to the activities sure. you're involved in start identifying the things that that initiate anxiety feelings yeah. of anxiety yeah. so you can stop doing those sure. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you can start kind of redirecting those energies and effort and time elsewhere here's a cool scripture philippians 4 8 finally brothers and sisters whatever is true mm-hmm. whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things and it's like you know this week um kind of facing some things that i, I have to um develop courage in order to just kind of walk through but i was like what if God sincerely, I mean, what if he wanted to just show out and just cause me to have an awesome week and an awesome mm. time through all of this? But here mm. I am just kind of worrying and trying to kind of growing in fear. And I was like, you know what? I have overcome almost every trial and tragedy in my life and I'm still here. Mm. And so in the word, you know, in the Old Testament, he would have the Israelites rehearse all of the, um, you know, put a memorial here and then tell your children, this is what I did for you. And so there's something to rehearsing your victories or even the fact that you are still here and still pressing and still moving is, would this be the thing that takes you down? I doubt it. So think on excellent things. I'm going to do great. I'm just going to be fine. We're going to be, the, the next week will come and we'll all be okay, you know, so. And there's, there's a, there's actually a Simon Sinek video I'll put in there. It's like a two minute video and he talks about nervous versus excited. Okay. And a lot of times we confuse the two. Uh, and uh, there was a situation where my kids were starting their homeschool group the next day. And the evening before, Jordan, my oldest son was feeling nervous mm. and he was thinking like, oh, I'm going to throw up or like he was feeling these feelings. And we're like, listen, you're excited and there's an unknown tomorrow, uh, mm. yep. but you're actually looking forward to this thing, right? Like, and we would ask the question, like, are you excited to start your homeschool group tomorrow? And he's like, yeah. I said, well, that feeling 
is like butterflies. It's like when you're about to perform or mm. the feeling about going on a fun trip. Maybe it's a long trip. You know, we get that excitement feeling. And sometimes when we're so prone to anxiety and depression, we will reinterpret feelings of excitement and anticipation for anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And it will okay. feed on itself and you okay. get nervous. So sometimes just stepping back and really trying to think, what is the root of whatever I'm feeling? Yeah, man. It might be excitement. You know, yeah, it might yeah. be something you're actually looking forward to, but you're so used to interpreting it as anxiety that you yeah. can't break that cycle. So just so good. And it, and really it might good. be sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs> or humiliation <laughs> galore. No, no, no. Because, you know, this is actually funny, though. But, but Nerve and I go back and forth, you know, because she says that white folks like to control things yep. too much. <laughs> Yep. And she, so like, so if I get my observation (laughs) and I'm sticking to it. So, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, and there's old comedy skits based on this too. I just was thinking about that. There might be, there might be some legitimate differences here. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But you know, the thing is when you've had, and this isn't across the board, but just in general people, not just white folks, but in general people, when you have had a more decent life, oftentimes like you tend to be more controlling. You want to keep that and you fear like, man, I'll never make it through such and such Mm -hmm. if I go through that. And JP talks about catastrophizing the future. Right. And if you have that kind of bent, which I do anyways, um, about reading in some kind of great fear, like everything's going to fall apart in the future. And if it does, I'm going to, like my whole life's going to end. Right. And if you start, yeah, what you got? And you know, I'm noticing that people who have a really cushioned life do Here that we go. more than those what you saying? who what you don't. Saying I'm like, are you Sorry. kidding me? <laughs> so I don't know. It just seems like the more you've been through, the more trials you've walked it's through. It's sort of the like that you... bad turbulence we went through there you, in Chicago ah, there and Baltimore, you go. right? It's like, oh, once you've been through that, yeah. you're like, yeah. I made it. True. It worked, it's like, you know? You said, you know, I got my, you you like, listen, I got my lights cut off. Oh, yes. I'm all Cars right. broken if, down. If, if like, I'm if, like, are you kidding me? This is nothing. If something small in my car tweaks, I'm oh, like, it's Light engine my comes on and he's like, great, it's over. I'm like, well, are you kidding me? We are so blessed in yeah. this country so I'm trying to learn that, from yeah. her to live yes, in yes, yes. But like when you talk about fear of flying specifically uh-huh. a lot of times it's attributed to a lack of control yeah because you, know, sure you, you can drive on the most dangerous highway which i do daily on i4 <laughs> literally listen i4 is a death trap <laughs> it, it is it's is. It's so bad for some reason the idea that we have control helps us yeah. be at ease yeah and the idea of flying being out of control that, that we could not stop what is happening mm. for sure because we don't have control that is oh don't let me see that. no young pilot <laughs> When I walk you in, you want that season, baby. brother. Listen, I, you know, it's an not overly though. seasoned, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but nicely mess. seasoned. But you also don't want to see mess. an unkept pilot. You know what I mean? Like no, his ties exactly, are a little skew. Exactly. Like you won't be seeing that. <laughs> but sometimes we attribute that, and so some, sure. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fun. It's comforting to feel like you're in control, and an out of control definitely kind of takes some maturity to kind of. Make through, but you know, I just sink into that seat and take a nap and just now when I'm driving, she doesn't sink into the seat because his driving is out of control. That's why she always says, "How can you be scared of a plane? Drive like this." (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You're 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 driving like those pilots you fear. (laughs) You're professional, exactly, exactly. But I think you're right, and I think, but but you know, to bring it to discipleship, that is something we all have to learn yeah. is mm-hmm. to let go of that over, like overly controlling thing mm-hmm. that, that does tend to produce fear and worry about the future. Right. And that's what Jesus, you know, that that's why these guys, they weren't just spiritual gurus. They understood reality. Mm-hmm. And these writers mm-hmm. of the new Testament, they like right. you just read from Philippians. That was that, I mean, that was brilliant and it's so mm-hmm. true. And it's not, you know, it's not every part, it's not the whole of the story for everybody. Like we said, there's some times when you have extreme cases where you need to add stuff to that. But that, for most people, at most times, that's going to be a key Mm. ingredient is what are you putting your thoughts on? Right. And we have to, I think the Bible is so brilliant that be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus talking about not worrying about tomorrow. Right. And I think much, 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 even when it gets to the place where it's physical, when you trace it back, it's history. Oftentimes it was rooted in the way you think mm-hmm. yes. and there's there's hereditary stuff involved and even sure. jp will talk about that how yeah. his family he in, in fact he inherited a, he calls it a disposition toward anxiety and depression mm. but mm. it doesn't mean you're determined to be that way right. and that's because there is that gap for how you 
how, how do you handle that stuff and what are you right. going to put in place? And so if you're listening today and you find yourself mm-hmm. struggling, this, this session wasn't meant to give you all the answers, but yeah. it, is, it is to point you in a direction to say there is hope to learn how to walk in a healthy way with victory um, through this holistic path. There are people out there that can act as guides through sort of a tricky, dangerous forest and not to diminish um, the people like, like Jared, you know, we don't, we're, I have no idea what he was going through and, and I'm sure he, you know, did a lot of stuff and and had a lot of people helping him. But I, but I do think there is genuine um, room for optimism and hope no matter who you are today that mm-hmm. through this process and this, even the fact that you're listening to this and have made it this far into us talking, <laughs> right. this could be the means of grace that God is extending mm-hmm. to you to be the start of a process where you not only just get over depression and anxiety, but through this process, you become a deep, rich, mature disciple of Christ that's able to help others that have similar mm-hmm. struggles. Yeah. Right. That's good. And so we'll point you to all the resources that are in show notes. Again, the book that we're talking about is Finding Quiet by J.P. Moreland. I highly recommend that book. He'll be on the show soon. We have all the other links to uh, videos, books in the show notes. And if you'd like to contact us, we'd love to hear from you. You can comment on our social media accounts at FreemindFM on Instagram and Twitter and at FreemindPodcastFM on Facebook. You can email us. Again, we'd love to hear your questions for J.P. Moreland when we get to interview him. So you can email us at podcast at FreemindFM. And if you haven't had a chance yet, we'd really appreciate a five-star rating. We actually had a number. We're getting real close to 100. Yes. Yeah, man. We're getting close to those 100 close. five-star ratings. And we've even had some new Patreon supporters. Yes, thank, thank you, you guys. So much. Thank you, Patreons. Thank you so much. We could not thank you enough. And so thank you. We appreciate you doing that. And if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash freemindfm. And we do have some bonus content on there. Might even have some Downton Abbey talk on that Patreon this week. <laughs> but you get access to bonus episodes. The Mountain yes. Prophets uh, is also still on there. Nancy Piercy, Q&A. So I encourage you to go there. And uh, thanks for tuning in as always. And we'll see you next week. Avenue. You are here.